Um, I ask you a question in English, if I may. Yeah. Sky Sports in England. I know your, your wife is a cabaret artist, singer, actor. The Aubameyang deal's turning into a bit of a song and dance, isn't it? Um, she's comedian, yes. Welcome to episode 219 of the Pod. I am your host Stefan Butzko for this episode yet again and I am joined by Lars Polman. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, it's been a while, I barely recognize your voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you recognize it from the pre-talks. Um, and also with me Konstantin Eckner from Spielverlagerung. Hello Konstantin, how are we doing tonight? Uh, we are doing fine. That is very well. Um, some of our fellow Borussia Dortmund fans are, of course, not doing too good because uh, one Nevin Zubotic finally left the club after uh, yeah many attempts that did not quite work out. Uh, but today he announced that he is leaving to uh, Saint-Étienne, to the uh, French Ligue 1 last Are you just as sad as many, many other people? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm just not the emotional type. I don't get too invested in players other than Moritz Leitner. Um, <laughs> so a new day of hope for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm now basically first and foremost a Norwich City fan. Uh, I hate to inform you, but no, the, the Zubotic thing to me his exit would have been more meaningful had it come like two years earlier when he still was a big factor for the team. His role has marginalized to a, to an extent that it basically doesn't really matter in a sporting sense that he's now not available to not be selected anymore. I mean, the, the few games he got under uh, desperate Peter Bosch in autumn They don't really count. Very desperate, Peter. Bush. Yeah, I mean, they don't really count to me. So basically, that, 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 there was a time the team talked Bosch into picking Zubotic, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the so. uh, that's that's what's been reported in Germany anywhere. I don't know how how accurate that reporting was, but uh, I mean, just Zubotic, obviously, an all-time great Borussia, both on and especially off the field. He's really a great guy and everybody should be happy that he's now getting the chance to play his trade for a few more years instead of being basically a, a standby professional, as we say in Germany. He's a, a guy that basically only gets called up when everybody's injured and otherwise doesn't factor into the into the plans of the coaches. So uh, I, I can understand that others are emotional about it and sad that he's now gone, but Uh, as I said, it would have been more meaningful to me had it come earlier. Uh, you mentioned his attempts to leave the club, which, I mean, he was perfectly fine to do so. Uh, he 
failed a medical at Middlesbrough in 2016, was on loan at Cologne. So uh, even the most emotional Dortmund fans have had like 18 months to get ready for this departure. So for me, as someone who isn't really emotional about these things, this doesn't really hit home too much. Yeah, we have to uh, talk, of course, about uh, Borussia Dortmund's 1-1 draw against Hertha Berlin and uh, preview the upcoming game on Saturday against Freiburg. But uh, I assume, or I don't assume, I, I think we should stay maybe on the transfer news and rumor topic uh, while we're at it. Um, also, another player left Borussia Dortmund for now. Uh, that's uh, Jakob Brunlarsen. Uh, he is uh, playing for Borussia Dortmund 2 in Stuttgart. <laughs> So, um, Konstantin, do you think he will get more playing time with Hannes Wolf? Um, no, not really. Okay. I'm just saying, I mean, I, I don't think he, that's, uh, I, I know that they have, um, offloaded some of, some of the talents uh, or some talent there, uh, in, in Bornage and, um, who else actually? Um, no, that's you mean Mangala, who isn't no, on loan? No, that's not. No, no, that. But then they aren't on loan. But yeah, there are several or former Dortmund players. But uh, uh is the second um, player at Stuttgart who is uh, still under contract uh, with Borussia Dortmund. Um, yeah, I mean, it it depends a little bit um, as to what they uh, how they view him as a as a on the right wing, as a right back, or as a right winger. Um, as a right back, I don't really see him doing that well at Stuttgart. Quite frankly, I um, against Mainz just recent, uh, just this past weekend, uh, Benjamin Pavard played as the right back. They have also Andreas Beck as the more attacking option, uh, more rather uh, than basically. So. Um, I don't see him doing well there. Maybe I mean his his main position is in the, in the left attack. Though. Maybe he can um, as a left winger. I don't. I don't see him, him doing quite well um, because they have Aogo um, and Kaminski there um, and Insua. Um, so him him as as a as a left winger or as a right winger. I don't know. Um, maybe, but he has to offer something. He has to offer uh, offer more than just. Um, Basically bombing down um, because especially with Akolo and um, Adonis, um, I think they they are more they are more educated in, in possession football and in, in like a more complicated build-up situations than uh, Bruno Larsen. So we will see. Maybe he he gets some playing time, but uh, right now I don't I don't see him. Um, like like be, being a starter right away or in the next few weeks or so, but maybe he proves me wrong. But no, uh, but I think he's injured, right? Or he's he's just he's uh, I mean he's just returning from injury. So I mean even that that statement makes no sense uh, because he has uh, some time or he needs more time to uh, get into playing shape. So um, yeah, but even after that, I'm I I don't I'm not sure at least um how he will do there um i mean same with bornage basically who um gets you know substitutions here and there but uh, not more um so we will see yeah it doesn't look too good for Borussia Dortmund's low knees felix passler yeah. also not grabbing so much uh, minutes at hoffenheim right now um 
speaking of of playing time and uh, you know maybe another defender that is on the verge of leaving the club in this winter is uh, Mark Batra. Um, I would say the uh, quotes of uh, Peter Stöger that came out of today's press conference are pretty harrowing in, in that regard. So he basically said that uh, Mark is a player that, who has his qualities, you know, that's without a question. And then uh, he says, well, he has his good moments in training, but uh, he always like has, you know, makes makes mistakes that are critical. And basically alludes to, you know, having enough quality in his squad with uh, all the other center backs and that he usually just takes one center back on the bench <laughs> and that's apparently not Batra and right now it's two center backs because Sturm is injured and only because those two center backs can play full back as well and with Zagadou for the left back spot and uh, Akanji for the right back spot that's all the spots taken according to Stöger so more or less saying that uh, there is really no place for Mark Batra right now to play. Um, last, since we have discussed that topic so much on the last episode, um, would it make you sad if Mark Batra leaves? Do you think Dortmund would lose a lot of quality in Batra because of his obvious ball-playing skills? Or do you think that this transfer would be justified as uh, there were too many shortcomings? What are your thoughts on uh, Mark Batra potentially leaving the club and not having much of a chance under Peter Stöger? Well, I can understand Stöger to an extent because Batra really hasn't been great uh, this season. I think he got a bit of a rough deal having to play out wide on the right side, uh, which is really something he's not particularly good at. And if that shaped... Stöger's perception of the player because it was that late Bosch phase, basically the few games Stöger presumably watched first uh, when he came to Dortmund just to get a, a better glimpse into his new team then, you know, Batra was uh, behind by default but, you know, Stöger's been there long enough to see him in training, there was a training camp and if he doesn't rate Batra too much then that's I guess the the coach's prerogative. I think it would be a a bad idea to sell someone based on the opinion of someone who's in or presumably just a, a caretaker manager until the end of the season. I think Bartra is too good to sell him based on that. But uh, there's also obviously the off-field stuff for Bartra who possibly wants to move closer to home after the bus attack and uh, he has every right to pursue that if that's the case even though the the latest rumors I heard were that Real Betis of Seville were interested in him and that's not really close to Catalonia but you know it's Spain so uh, maybe that's a consideration for him personally I would never entertain selling Batra as long as uh, Socrates is still at the club uh, my uh, dislike for Socrates the player I think we've talked about that a few times on here so I don't have to rehash it all but just generally I think Batra has more rare qualities than, than Socrates I guess is 
one way to put it. I mean, you you don't find many players with Batra's ball playing qualities, whereas you can probably find someone to do the dirty work of Socrates at a reasonable, reasonably close level to the Greek defender. So that that would be my idea. But obviously, there there are some circumstances to be taken into account and ultimately I, I I would assume that Batra will leave because also uh, he wants to go to the World Cup and that's not going to happen sitting in the stands at the Westfalenstadion. Yeah, I think that's uh, ultimately what it will come down to in his decision making. The only question is whether there really is a market for him and whether um, yeah a, a, a club like Real Betis CV will uh, be good enough for him to actually, you know, showcase his traits. Um, Constantine, your thoughts on Batra potentially leaving? I mean, um, it was expected, basically, uh, or it has been expected for some time now that he is leaving. Uh, he hasn't played uh, that much of a role um, since October or so. Um, I can't really remember when he fall off a cliff but he did um sometime during the first part of the season and yes it's that i i still think he's um next to toprak the best um playmaking center back that they have but it hasn't really worked out and there was the attack and um everything else it, it it's it, it yeah it hasn't worked out and so um i guess it's it's just a great move to to uh, leave um And for Dortmund to at least uh, receive a rather small, but uh, a rather small transfer fee, but at least something for um, the pocket um, because they have to reinvest um, um, some some money here and there. And um, yeah, I guess that's that's all right. Um, yeah. Um, in in his case, I mean, it's it it's somewhat disappointing, but um, I don't think. If he's leaving, or if he if he leaves uh, next uh, few days uh, until the f transfer uh, window closes, um, then there's nothing um, the the two sides, meaning Dortmund or, or the player, um, would have done wrong, um, as opposed to the Mikel Marino situation. I don't know why you had to bring that up, but um, okay. Um, there's another name on my list. Um, Last quickly, do you think there's any truth to the rumor that West Bromwich Albion are interested in one André Schöle? Well, uh, who's their manager again? Uh, it's it's Alan Pardew, I think. Uh, he's dumb enough to do something like that, so sure, why not? Uh, the problem for Dortmund is, I mean... Uh, Operating under the assumption that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is going to leave, which looks more doubtful uh, on this day than it has for like two weeks. Uh, I, I guess we'll talk about that in a few moments. Um, I mean, if Aubameyang leaves, you basically can't let Schöle go uh, because you don't have any real replacements other than Isaac, who's 18, and Schöle. So... Uh, he kind of has to say, and, and so far the assumption was that Olivier Giroud would come in uh, the other way around, uh, and Giroud wouldn't be eligible to play in the Europa League, so you'd still need Schürrle if you care at all about the Europa League. So 
I don't really see how a lone move makes sense. Uh, I think Schürrle is not going to make the World Cup either as a sub for Dortmund or a starter for a substandard West Bromwich Albion team. So ultimately, I think the logical choice would be for them to try to make it work for this last half season. And then if that doesn't come together, which I guess we would predict to be the case, uh, he can go look for a more permanent solution in the summer. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is, yeah. This is. Uh, I, I'm not gonna say it. Anyway, um, Constantine. Um, Lars already mentioned it. It looks as though the transfer of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to Arsenal is dragging out quite a bit. Even though Henrik Mkhitaryan already low-key announced him in some poorly edited video which has been taken down since and um, yeah there have been representatives of Arsenal including the good old friend Sven Mislintat in Dortmund to negotiate but uh, yeah nothing really has happened since then not a medical uh, rather the opposite Aubameyang has continued training in Dortmund um Do you think this transfer will still happen and Arsenal will cough up the, uh, I don't know, 10 million more that Dortmund are asking or so? Or do you think that uh, in the end Dortmund will actually keep Aubameyang because uh, Arsenal will not meet the asking price? I think it comes down to whether Dortmund can sign or or can find the replacement and can sign the replacement uh, before um, February 1st. And um, if they can't, then I guess Aubameyang will stay. Um, Sure, the second question is uh, where Arsenal meets the price tag Dortmund has put on Aubameyang. Probably not, uh, knowing how uh, Arsenal works. Um, So, yeah, overall, um, it it increasingly looks like um, Aubameyang will stay until summer, which is kind of surprising, uh, given how everything has played out uh, in the past. I don't know. Weeks. I always had, had had a feeling that there is a very good chance that Aubameyang somehow still stays on, and uh, I don't know. I'm I would still give it like a thirty percent chance or whatever, just because Dortmund may not be happy with uh, the lined up replacement or so I think Giroud was their number one transfer target if this not, isn't happening I don't know if they are convinced with uh, the other options uh, Constantine on that note um, Fedor Smolov uh, once again linked with Dortmund do you think he would be a suitable replacement um, I don't know if suitable is the right word I mean he would suit Dortmund's playing style would he be a replacement even uh, remotely on the level of Wam Young? Um, no. Okay, I guess that answers it then. Because, you know, Dortmund still do have some ambition. Really? I hope, at least, for them. And I don't, I don't know. I, I guess we can we can talk about this now <laughs> and uh, <laughs> look at this terrible, 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 terrible first half of... Uh, football is the wrong word coldness 
that took place in the not-sold-out Olympiastadion on Friday night. Give it away to Sancho. Goes at the back for Sancho. Nice footwork from Sancho. And good defending in a 1v1 situation from Stock. Still there, Kagawa at the far post. Excellent finish from Shinji Kagawa. But it's all the making of young Jaden Sancho. Excellent cross at the winning possession back. Dormant a level. Lars, since you already revealed in the pre-talk that you hardly remember anything, uh, you know, which is completely justified, of course, uh, I'll let you go first and uh, Constantine then can pick up the pieces. Do I get a question? Or just no. just go? No, just, just, just go free-flowing your thoughts on Dortmund Hertha 1-1 go. Yeah, I mean, the first half really was quite terrible from what I can remember, <laughs> as you said. <laughs> I mean, it's been it's been six days of constant transfer drama and, and some other stuff, so it's, it's hard for me to recall nothing happening in the first half. So uh, from what I can remember, and that's mostly the halftime analysis from former Dortmund legend Matthias Sommer, who does the Eurosport uh analysis in germany in this i'm a, i'm afraid i missed out on that because i was yeah, locked I, I know. in the middle of of berlin in, in the olympia stadium but i mean for for the non-german listeners uh summer is revolutionizing uh the analysis department much like people are thinking at least that tony romo is revolutionizing color commentary so uh in american football i should add for those who don't watch that spot so nevertheless uh, Zama made a few points I guess he listened to the yellow wall pot because Konstantin has talked at length about Dortmund's build-up issues and how nobody's stepping up how you know a player like Weigel is being left out to dry because others aren't moving around him to free him up and I mean just in general Everybody expected the game to be absolutely awful because it's Hertha and that's what they do. And, you know, for the first half that, that came true. Second half started awfully with uh, the goal after, what was it, 41 seconds. I still don't know exactly what Socrates is doing, but. Yeah, I was just going to say, what was your friend Socrates doing there? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, counting uh, grass stems or something. I don't know. I mean, his positioning. Was awful there, was awful for, I think, the second goal or some other big chance. I mean, the second goal that didn't count because uh, Andre Duda is a bit of an idiot, even though possibly Ömer Topak, at least he claimed he would have cleared it off the line. Uh, but, you know, whatever it, it was, Socrates was doing, it didn't, didn't really... It had nothing to do with defending, which is kind of a big deal for a centre-back, I find, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but you know that that goal kind of changed the complexion of the game to benefit Dortmund actually because Stöger was then forced to make some changes. They played almost a four-two-four, uh, which if it's not uh, Giampiero Ventura, the former Italy coach, is a system that can work pretty well as we saw. And then especially when Alex Isaac came in and they had a focal point in attack, Andre Schöle moved a bit deeper. I think. Uh, in terms of their attacking uh, the movement in the front line, I think those final 35 or so minutes uh, were probably the best football they played under Stöger. And, you know, the, the problem is that they only got one goal out of that. And that kind of shows how desperately they need 
some of their offensive personnel to come back if it's Aubameyang and he's willing to put in the work that's great uh, more likely it's going to be Marco Reus soon for those two and a half wonderful games before he gets injured again uh, maybe Maxi Philipp in, in March or early April I mean it's it's not looking great for Dortmund's Champions League hopes uh, the, the one saving grace probably the rest of the Bundesliga might just be even worse than them Yeah, Dortmund uh, during those uh, two games in the Rückrunde, I think, accumulated expected goals around 4.46, but uh, only scored one of uh, those, uh, you know, four and a half expected goals, I guess. So that uh, tells you a little bit. I mean, against Wolfsburg, they were a bit unlucky to hit the post twice and whatnot and have Yamolenko on the team. Um, that's, you know, bad luck. Konstantin... Uh, um, If there's a player that once again impressed me very much, that was Jaden Sancho. How did you see? Um, due to Socrates being forced to um, play a couple of long balls, um, yeah, to be accurate, um, seven in the first 60 minutes and all from the right side to the left. Um, Yeah, hence to um, that being a factor in Dortmund's build-up, uh, Sancho got a, got some touches there. Um, especially, he is sometimes called um, who was uh, the right winger, um, Lazaro. He, he caught Lazaro off guard a little bit, uh, which was something. Um, also, they didn't really pressure him that much when he um, was in the process of receiving the ball. Uh, which helped him because he's he's someone who uh, once he has the ball and uh, you know can kind of force these thrills, um, he or these one on ones, um, he he's of course in you know um, that that's that's what he he can do best right now, uh, basically. Um, he even he, he so he did quite well, especially com compared to most of his teammates uh, during the first half and in the second half when. Um, Alexander Isak came on. Um, and, uh, basically, Stöger changed to a 4-2-4 or 4-4-2. And Isak played as the left-sided center forward. And he and he often drifted towards the left side, which allowed uh, Sancho, you know, uh, going going inwards. And um, there was one backheel pass. And there were a few other situations where basically Isak really freed up um, Sancho, Sancho moved in, um, good timing, and um, then he got the chance to do something and to shine. Um, so overall, yeah, I mean, he he outshined basically Pulisic. That's that's also something we can mention. Uh, but that's not a knock on Pulisic, basically, because um, it's just you know right situation, right timing uh, for Sancho as he was the left winger and not Pulisic. Uh, otherwise, Pulisic, if he would have been the, uh, if he had been the right um, winger, uh, the left winger, then he would have had some of these situations, of course, and w would probably have used some of that. Um, but yeah, so so Sancho, I, I mean, it's interesting. Um, right now, Guerrero and Royce are still injured or in, on the injured list, but um, I mean, they will come back at at some point. Um, Philip will be out for the entire season for the rest of the season. Uh, but even if Aguero and Royce come back, I still see Sancho as someone who has um, some um, opportunities in the starting eleven, or at least, you know, uh, being the super sub uh, for the attacking department. So um, overall, um, I guess he right now has the chance to uh, cement his his uh, position within the uh, 
team of, in, in the locker room, basically. I mean, he's someone who, of course, has to a little bit has to earn the respect uh, of his teammates, but he's he's about to do that, and um, good for him. I mean, um, other players at his age, even with a similar talent level, um, you know, they go underwater fairly quickly um, when they don't get uh, the uh, um, the you know, the, the the opportunities to play uh, within the first uh, six or eight months. And, I mean, in the first part season, he didn't really have a chance to play. Um, but right now he, he does because of injuries and he does fairly well. Yeah, I would say so as well. And, uh, yeah, a very exciting young player, of course. And uh, as I already said in the last week, that uh, I'm still impressed with his decision-making when to dribble and when to when to pass and whatnot, um, I think he is way ahead of a lot of other players in his age bracket or overall. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, this this is definitely something that we should keep a very close eye on because it's always exciting to have young talent. Although, you know, if you're really cynical about Dortmund, you always have to say, well, you have these great young players, but you just can't build a dynasty on it. Like Pulisic, Isak and Sancho, you know, if they really all three take off and you have like a world-class do, they will all probably leave Dortmund before their peak. So that's, uh, yeah, disappointing, I guess, but that's just how things work nowadays. Um, is, is it really never- disappointing? I mean, just look at Barca. Um, they, I mean, they had their, their dynasty set, set right there uh, with uh, Neymar, Suarez and uh, Messi. And the one guy who was still developing, Neymar, left. And that's Barcelona we are talking about. So I mean, I think it's just, you know, is it really disappointing in a day and age where uh, that basically happens to every club? I don't know. I still, I still think from a fan's perspective, it is disappointing whether you're Barcelona or Borussia Dortmund. Um, Lars, um, a couple of words on uh, Alexander Isak's first touch. Uh, it's good. I mean, much, much better than Aubameyang's, for example. And uh, I think he can develop into exactly the kind of striker this system could use instead of a more forward-oriented finishing type of player in Aubameyang. I mean, Isaac already looks more comfortable uh, getting more touches than Aubameyang, more comfortable playing with his back to the goal. And that obviously comes down mostly to technical ability. And I mean, you you mentioned his first touch. I think for, for a striker, that's uh, a really solid uh, technical quality uh, Isaac boasts. But obviously... Some of the other attributes you're looking for in strikers uh, are a bit underdeveloped at this point. But, you know, I mean, Isaac of January 2018 looks nothing like the player uh, we saw basically until December 2017. So the strides he's made over the last few weeks and in training camp uh, are really impressive and bode well for the future. Uh, I think one of the the positives about the potential Giroud deal for me was that getting an older player meant uh, Isaac would have natural opportunities to play more than behind the machine that is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who's basically almost never injured. 
So, uh, however, this Aubameyang thing plays out, and I think we can all agree that in the summer, at the latest, he's going to be off. Uh, I think Isaac has started to show enough to be part of the the long-term plans for Dortmund, as in they should probably only sign one striker to replace Aubameyang because they still need to develop Isaac further and, and get him on the pitch as much as possible without compromising uh, the team's goals, which I guess, to be fair, I mean, I've, I've talked positively about him, but right now having to play Isaac over Aubameyang may well have cost Dortmund at least one win in these two games. Yeah, I I have a similar th- feeling, although Aubameyang, of course, is also very famous for missing a couple of chances, but when he's in there, the entire dynamic changes. Uh, so, yeah, it's ob- obviously hypothetical, but I have the same feeling. Um, Okay, really quick, Um, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll also toss this one to you, Lars. Uh, how did you see André Schull in the number 10 spot? I mean, he didn't really play as a number ten. Uh, he was, yeah, I, I guess, more of a, more of a I secondary striker, or however you want to call it. But I mean, he looked god awful in the first half. But I guess that I, I mean, Aubameyang would have looked god awful in that, that first half too, and, and Isaac uh, presumably as well. So uh, that really wasn't down to the striker. And Stöger said it in his press conference today. So uh, Schöler did pretty well. When Isaac came on, he had a bit more space, played a couple of nice passes that we haven't seen much from him, but overall, it's still Andre Schurle, so I'm not going to get excited over him being, you know, useful. I mean, he wasn't great, he was just useful, which is more than he had been in recent weeks, so I guess that's a step in the right direction, but uh, I'd, I'd still feel better if they didn't have to go to Andre Schurle to solve their attacking problems. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, that's, it is what it is. And, um, I gotta say, I was a little bit disappointed, um, that the, uh, Götze Weigel Kagawa midfield did not really create too many things, especially in the first half. I actually thought that, uh, that those three could evade Hatter's very tight man marking and uh, you know very tight positioning overall on on, on the field, but uh, turned out they couldn't. And uh, yeah, only as as you guys already mentioned, when Kagawa moved next to Weigel into that four two four shape, uh, yeah, things actually started to happen for Dortmund. So um, yeah, at least kudos to Peter Stuger for making a move that helped the team. And uh, yeah, Mario gets a. Uh, Taking him off, I guess, was the correct choice because, I don't know, until the 67th minute, I don't think he did too many great things. I mean, he was terrific against Wolfsburg. Uh, Hertel, however, was not his game. And uh, yeah, so I guess in the end, we can all agree on the fact that it was two points dropped for Dortmund uh, against a mediocre, let's put it this way, Hertha team. And uh, after already dropping two points against a mediocre Wolfsburg team, that's uh, four points that Dortmund arguably shouldn't have dropped, um, especially after that weird no call uh, in the uh, death of the at the death of the game. Where was it Duda? Uh, Lustenberger, I think. 
Ah, yeah, Lustenberg. Yeah, I think it was Lustenberger who 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 grabbed Yamolenko. Nice little wrestling move. Should have been a penalty. Um, Konstantin, any objection there, or uh, should this have been? I I mean, to me, it was a Stonewall penalty. I don't know how you see it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um. Nothing else to say about it. I mean, it was one. Yeah, it's it's just so weird. What what the hell they are doing in Cologne? I mean, Peter Stöger is used to it by now, but uh, still, that you know really irked me. He's he's used to what people do it uh, for uh, what, what dumb shit people do in Cologne. Yeah, I know. Yeah, especially the uh, video assistant referees. I also do not know why Christian Dinger. It was a Cologne choke. To... What are you doing? Ugh. Yeah, but I also. Also, don't know what uh, why why Christian Dinger didn't go to the screen himself. Uh, I I sort of expect that in the injury time, you know, just because such a decision then is even more crucial than in the you know, let's say the fifteenth minute of the game. But um, oh well. So um, yeah, who knows if Dortmund even had scored that penalty. So I guess we can just move on. Um, Konstantin, now Freiburg come to town. Dortmund have won every league match against them since 2001. And they have a very good streak against Freiburg. However, if we look at the good old form tabelle, form table, the last five games, uh, Freiburg have three wins and two draws and are second behind Bayern, having scored 11 points in that time frame. Dortmund, meanwhile, are seventh. So uh, who's the favorite in this one? <laughs> uh, Dortmund. Okay. Um, I mean, sorry, uh, sorry about sorry about that <laughs> short answer, but I uh, you, you can you no, can, no, uh, it's you can uh, you know pull out every um, form table or whatever it is uh, you uh, <laughs> all you want, but uh, still Dortmund's of course the favorite, and uh, there's no way Dortmund can sneak out of or uh, like sneaking out of the room and um, you know uh, abandoning the favorites really, uh, um the favorites well, especially playing at home. Um, Sure, Freiburg, especially coming out the winter break, is uh, a much tougher opponent than maybe when you play uh, at Freiburg deep into the season or deep into the hinrunde or rückrunde. Um, that's just kind of a thing that that happens to uh, Strike's team sometimes because they play so intense and it's very demand uh, demanding style. Um, and so you know, recovering um during winter break really helps them or has helped them obviously because i uh, they they threw against um frankfurt and then won against leipzig so pretty good um and, and they were much more stable in in defense as opposed to what 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 they played um you know prior to the winter break uh where they sure they won points where it was like, uh, what, what was it, a free free against uh, Prem or something, uh, you know, m matches like that. So, um, yeah, they look much more stable, and that, of course, they will be uh, a, a tough opponent overall um, uh, with their back five, uh, which they mostly pull out against um, top tier opponents like Leipzig and, of course, Dortmund. Um, and yeah, I mean, and intense pressing um, up front with free free uh, attacking players. So. It's not easy, or it won't be easy, but uh, Dortmund's still the favorite. Yeah, obviously they're still the favorite. Um, that was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question. Oh, really? Last... But, but you didn't push the tongue-in-cheek button, so I, I couldn't know. 
Lars, um, obviously set pieces was a big topic today at the news conference because Freiburg scored two of those against Leipzig. Um, any other strengths you see at them? I I personally always thought they were very good at possession football and whatnot, but today I checked and they actually have the lowest uh, amount of possession, at least, at least for uh, the time on the ball. I don't know how much that says about Freiburg's possession with the ball however uh you know that that just struck me as odd yeah i think uh freiburg have done really well in the last few years kind of changing their style according to their personnel each and every season because it's obviously a club that has a lot of turnover when players get <laughs> basically too good for them like uh, maxi philip and What's his face? Who's now at Gladbach? Uh, the guy with the Italian Grifo. name. Yeah, Vincenzo Grifo. Thanks. Uh, I mean, when you lose players of that talent level, obviously for a small club like Freiburg, things change. So, uh, like you said, Stefan, they, they used to be one of the few teams you can actually watch in possession. And, uh, now it's not as much of that bit more of a transition team. Uh, but I, to be perfectly honest, I, I don't remember when I last saw them for the full 90 minutes outside of the meeting in the first half of the season against Dortmund. So I'm not the most qualified to, to talk about them. Uh, but you know, the, the set piece thing is obviously a point of emphasis for Dortmund. Uh, not only because of the two goals against Leipzig, I think. The commentator in that game last week said that Freiburg score more than 50% of the goals of set pieces, uh, which, I mean, given all the penalties Niels Petersen seems to get this season, uh, doesn't surprise me uh, too much. But, you know, ultimately, at home against Freiburg, regardless of uh, form tables and whatever, if you're Borussia Dortmund, you have to win that game and it shouldn't really matter too much what Freiburg are doing. And the fact that we are talking about their strengths, uh, instead of how Dortmund can, you know, make, make use of their weaknesses probably tells you some things about Dortmund's quality in these weeks, uh, which, you know, isn't horrendous, but isn't great either. So, uh, ultimately, as I said, you'd have to win against Freiburg and, with or without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, I don't know how he will act in the final training session this week. Uh, I mean, that's a game you have to win. And, and I, I do think Dortmund should be able to do that regardless of what Freiburg are doing. Okay. Um. Then one question over to you, Konstantin. Uh, who is Robin Koch? Uh, the son of Harry Koch. Harry Koch. Sorry. Yeah, but, but he is Harry, so... Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, c uh, came from um, Karlslautern. Um, I have a, f a few background information on him. I can't reveal them here um, because I know people who work with Robin Koch. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, a defensive player and one that, uh, especially in absence of um, Höfler and Franz, or usually the two center midfielders, um, he and uh, so Koch and Apreshi are doing a pretty good job right now. Um, 
especially when uh, Freiburg plays the five-two-three system. Um, you need two center mid or uh, Streich uh, wants two center midfielders, um, box-to-box guys, and and also two who can uh, shut down the the space right in front of the back three. Um, and I think he and uh, Pressy can do that um, quite well. So. Yeah, overall, I mean, I mean, good replacement uh, right now for um, basically he's basically he's the I guess he's the France replacement. I probably he's the Hüffler replacement. Nah, no, Koch's the Hüffler replacement. Whatever. Um, yeah, so I mean, it has worked out quite well um, so far. Um, and also, in, in, I mean, there's this one other point I want just to add um, for listeners who don't watch uh, Freiburg that much. Um, uh, Schuster um, is one of the uh, another experienced veteran um, at Freiburg who who doesn't really get that much time on the field right now. Um, he played, he often played as the center, uh, central defender in the back three. And which was quite interesting, uh, it was an interesting decision by Streich because uh, Schuster is just so slow and usually you don't want to have... Uh, such a slow player as your central defender, but then I look at Schalke and I see Nolte there, so I don't know. <laughs> but uh, some of the Bundesliga players decide to put uh, the slowest player uh, in central defense. Um, but um, I, I think he he isn't really um, he hasn't really that level anymore. So Gulde as the central defender and Soyunji and Kempf, uh, that's that's a pretty pretty decent to good um, back three. Um, and you know, com- uh, coupled with Koch and Aprashi, it's actually. It will be tougher to get through the through the uh, middle than some people might expect. Um, and then going through the rings, um, maybe Stenzel, the former Dortmund player Stenzel, uh, who uh, moved to Freiburg for a transfer fee of four million, I believe. Um, maybe he's the weak spot um, they have to explore. But uh, yeah, I mean that the center c- could be uh, covered tightly there. Yeah, we will we will see. Um, Lars, uh, you uh, already criticized uh, this show for not really looking at Dortmund's strengths, but uh, maybe that's exactly what we should do now. Um, do you expect changes from the uh, starting eleven that uh, yeah started against Hertha? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, Jaden Sancho is going to start three games in a row. We have to remember he's 17. He's played a lot of minutes now in quick succession for such a young player. Uh, Pulisic is back to full health. Yamolenko was on the bench last week, so wouldn't be surprising too much to me to see those two start with Sancho coming off the bench. I would hope, I mean, the, the Obama Young thing is a, is a different matter entirely, but I would hope if he doesn't play, that it's going to be Isaac up front and not Schöle. Uh, just because I think at home you kind of want that, that focal point in attack that you can look for with, with passes from the back and that likes to play with uh, his back to the goal because you probably envision Dortmund having a lot of possession and he's probably a better fit for that than André Schöle. And then personally... Uh, I would like to see Manuel Kanji make his Dortmund debut over Socrates, but we all know that's not going to happen. So uh, I think it's really only the striker situation with Aubameyang, Isaac and Schürrle and then the, the wings. I think 
the other spots are pretty settled at the moment because of, you know, absences of the likes of, you know, Marcel Schmelzer, Rafael Guerrero, uh, Marco Reus, and a few others. So, uh, Dortmund's 11 right now, I guess eight or nine of those guys basically are, are playing every game as long as they can. So, uh, the other two or three spots, I could see some changes this week. You know, what I find interesting is that, you know, when I look at this Dortmund starting lineup on, on paper, I, you know, can make a lot of arguments um, why Borussia Dortmund should be a great team and why they should easily finish second. However, every time then I, when when I actually watch them, I don't get the same feeling. There's just something of uh, somehow they are not basically get, getting all that horsepower on the street. Um Konstantin, is that down to Stöger or is that down to the team or do I simply have to adjust my expectations of the of the names that I read on on the team sheet? Um, I think all of the above a little bit. Uh, it's um, you you shouldn't expect too much from Stöger. Um, I think the expectations have been too high. Um, because he why he is a decent defensive coach and has some ideas uh, regarding build-up and attacking transition, I don't think uh, it's his strong suit, especially right now. I, I've, I think he's a little bit reluctant. Um, um, and I've also read the argument that uh, he wants to stabilize the defense first and then he wants to take care of um, the attacking Our, you know, the attacking department, which is um, not really how this how this works, um, especially when you are in the winter break. Um, you work on all the things um, and not just on one. And you think uh, because you stabilize the uh, defense, then that, that's about it. That's not really how it works. And I just think that uh, what we saw against um, Wolfsburg and against Hertha. That's right now. It's a, it's basically um, what you have to expect from Dortmund, which doesn't mean that they don't um, have um, the talent to, you know, break down, break through um, a Freiburg defense or um, a Mainz defense. That's they of course have the talent and uh, with the right adjustments, as you could um, see against Hertha, with the right adjustments, you uh, they are still able to outplay. And outmaneuver um, opponents, especially when they when their opponents is pretty much below um, their quality level. But um, you know, uh, the thing is, I just don't want to hear like from the likes of Andre Schüller or any anyone else after a game mm -hmm. that oh yeah, we had a good 30 minutes because that's exactly the sort of stuff we heard under Peter Bosch that they were praising themselves for like a short period within the game that went well while the other time of the game didn't go too well. I, I think it at, at least, you know, have a good 60 minutes or whatever, but just half hour, it's just, just not good enough. The, the Hertha match was basically the second time that uh, Stöger was, was a little bit off with his um, initial approach, and um, I think that's something you have to take into consideration. Um, and uh, why he needed... Um, I don't know how much time, uh, about 45 minutes to uh, readjust against uh, Bayern um, in the, in the um, cup match. 
Um, he needed about 60 minutes against Hertha, and Hertha had the chance to close the game uh, before um, Isak came on and they changed the system and got got out of um, the man-to-man coverage, basically. I mean, you broke the man-to-man coverage and um, forced Hertha to react. Um, and personally, I expect a little bit more um, you know, in, in in a match like that, because um, you could basically you basically had to knew had to know what what um, Hatter want, wanted to do. Um, so th- it was it wasn't surprising by any means. Um, that they applied a tight man to man coverage. That um, Duda followed Weigel, and that Socrates was the one guy who was l- left open. Um, that. It wasn't really um, surprising. Um, was anything uh, but surprising, actually. And um, so, I personally, I expect from from a coach at that level that he has a little bit more in his up his sleeve um, right away. That he, you know, adjusts uh, after thirty minutes or so, or even at halftime, which wasn't really the case. Um, so, yeah, overall, um, yeah, we are. Uh, guess we have to um deal with um or we have to, we should have lower expectations right now i guess we have to deal with with the fact that dortmund isn't like the second best bundesliga team um at this point which of course can change um in the next few yeah. weeks or so especially or when when Bayer leverkusen is the second best team right now uh, everyone knows that they have a tendency to uh fall flat but overall but I, even then Dortmund wouldn't be the second best <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh, sorry I had to break it to you but uh, even then Fine. it's a close battle uh, between um, Dortmund Schalke and Leipzig um, and it's not I, I don't see uh, Dortmund ahead of Schalke uh, for instance well the, the the thing is overall I I'm afraid I have to agree with your points and um but I do wanna wanna um I don't know talk uh, about something positive here, which I forgot about uh, during the Hertha game. And uh, last, who else? It's better to talk about Umar Toprak, who I actually think um uh, is is uh, performing rather well now under Peter Stöger, and uh, it looks as though Dortmund actually does have some consistency. In the backline, in terms of personnel, Lukas Piszczek uh, and Jeremy Tolian will be also available once again against Freiburg. Um, do you think uh, Toprak, if he plays like this, will basically be the uh, cornerstone of Dortmund's defense? Yes. Uh, quite frankly, I'm not overly surprised and uh, regular listeners of this show won't be either that I'm of that opinion because, quite frankly, I think uh, Umar Toprak offers the best package of skills a centre-back needs to have in the modern game uh, of all the defenders available to Dortmund's uh, head coach at the moment. So, uh, I mean, it, it. I think it's telling that the moment Sugar came in, he reintroduced Toprak into the team. I think that tells you something about Toprak standing in the Bundesliga in general. And, and I mean, someone like Stöger coming in from the outside, he took to Toprak Im- immediately because he remembers how good he was for Leverkusen for all those years. And uh, maybe it was a personality clash with uh, Bosch or maybe, 
you know, the first few months didn't really just work out for Topak, but I don't think his quality in general was the problem. So getting him back into the lineup to me was a no-brainer for Stöger. The, the partnership with Sokrates could work better, uh, because I think Topak isn't too comfortable being like the lone center back to play out of the back because Sokrates uh, forgoes those responsibilities completely uh, when he's sensing pressure. It's either a lumped ball forward or a, a, a pass that puts someone else uh, under pressure, be it a fullback, be it Topak or be it actually uh, Roman Burki. So I do ha have hopes for a Topak-Akanji partnership, even though I think Konstantin mentioned in a previous episode that maybe those two fit more of the same profile and, and not necessarily the, the the typical bronze and brains partnership, uh, like the, the Zubotic to Mats Hummels. That's not necessarily the case, but I do believe having two guys who can do a little bit of everything a centre-back needs to do would be beneficial to Dortmund. And to me, it starts with Toprak because he has the experience, he has leadership skills, And right now he has the confidence. So I do think, uh, to come back to your question that yes, he's a cornerstone to build upon. He's not that old, but very experienced. So, uh, when we talk about long-term plans, I think, uh, Topak is probably the, the most consistent one that, that factors into those. Actually, actually my notes, uh, read, uh, um, that I hope that Akanshi Uh, soon will replace Socrates because I think uh, Akanji is a little bit more the more athletic center back um, next to Toprak, um, but he's also um, better in build up than Socrates, so that would be kind of the best pairing. Yeah, maybe I misunderstood you then, but uh, I do think I, I, in I in in, think in, top, yeah. in an ideal world you'd you'd probably have either Toprak or Akanji, and then. An, an, an even better ball player next to that, but I guess uh, those are very rare and, and probably out of Dortmund's price range anyway. Yeah, probably, probably, yeah. But I, I think, I think, uh, I mean, if Toprak and Akanji would play um, alongside each other, um, Toprak would be the um, the first choice build-up player, so to say, and Akanji would be just the second one. And and when they um, mark um, Toprak, very closely and intensely then um akanji would still be more able to do something on the ball than um socrates so that's that that's why i think the pairing would work quite well and akanji has the speed uh and and the aggressiveness top rack lacks a little bit in defensive situations so uh overall i would, I would think that um that pairing would work out quite quite um yeah quite perfectly I mean, given given the um, roster you have right now, um, and considering that Bartwell is out the door. Well, if that actually does happen, as you say, um, I also think that would more or less seal uh, or, or solve the problem or whatever you want to call it on the Socrates uh, deal that runs until 2019, because if he is benched for a longer period and doesn't really see a perspective, I'm I'm pretty sure he will uh, be off to the Premier League or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I guess Dortmund right now are more or less in a, in a bigger rebuild 
uh, trying to sh to reshape their entire backline. We must forget uh, Dan Axel Zagadou is also still hanging around there and uh, hoping for for his chance and maybe yeah Dortmund will be without Batra and Socrates come this summer. Um, we will see, of course. Um, but I think that should be the uh, the 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 biggest factor for why I still do believe that Dortmund will finish in a in a top four, as that. Uh, I I just think they will achieve uh, much better defensive stability than uh, the first half of the season. And with that, uh, you know, they will. I guess the goals will eventually come, and <laughs> so I just assume that uh, yeah, based on on Dortmund's uh, improved defensive stability, as I just said, um, they will amass a higher amount of points than uh, yeah, they did in the first half of the season, and. Uh, That should be enough for a top four finish, but I could be wrong, of course. Um, also, I guess we were wrong in assuming that Marco Reus could make his debut against Freiburg or Cologne next week. Um, he just uh, flew back to his doctor to for basically one last checkup, and uh, his doctor advised him to basically wait another month and, and take things slow. So uh, I guess, um, yeah. We'll see Royce sometime around mid-February, which was the uh, the ETA overall. I guess it was like about Valentine's Day or so before Peter Sugar said that he may return sooner. So um, yeah, just when the Euroleague starts, I guess we can uh, reckon with Marco Royce making. Grab, grabbing his first minutes on the pitch. Anyway, I guess it's time to knock it on the head, and that means prediction time. Uh, Lars, you go first. Uh, a scrappy 2-1 home win for Dortmund. All right, I'm going for a scrappy 3-1 home win for Dortmund. Your pine kiss knows very well those can be very scrappy too. And Konstantin? 4-2. Uh, All right, that will uh, be some action. Uh, none of us predicting less than three goals, so uh, tune in. And I gotta say, usually, not the not the last game, but usually Dortmund versus Freiburg is a lot of fun. Uh, mostly for Dortmund, of course. So, um, yeah, I, I guess everyone who's listening to the show will tune in anyway. So, um, Lars, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned on the internet because I wasn't uh, ready to give out my address to anyone. Uh, but they can <laughs> follow me on Twitter uh, at Lars Polman. That is very nice. Konstantin, where can people follow you on Twitter? Um, at CC underscore E-C-K-N-E-R. Very well. Thank you both for joining. And to everyone else, thank you for listening. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. And uh, if you want to get in touch with all of us, please do that at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter as well or Facebook. And please do read our written stuff on yellowwallpot.com where you will also find access to all the uh, channels to subscribe to our show, which is iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. And of course, I must mention, if you want to support us financially, you can do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And uh, for now... That is all from us. Until next week, goodbye.